0: Hello everyone and welcome to today's episode of After the Final Whistle. I am your host, Brad Clear. It is Monday, July 16th, the day after WWE Extreme Rules. This episode is solely going to recap, review, and look at every bit of that Extreme Rules pay-per-view. Going to go from the first kickoff show match all the way to the main event, recap, review, give you my thoughts on it, and what each uh, result, developments, whatever, means moving forward um so yeah no point in wasting time let's just get right into it with the first kickoff show match which was Andrade Cien Almas taking on Sin Cara if their match was any indicate their match on Smackdown uh, the Smackdown last week before this show was any indication this was going to be a good match and that's exactly what it ended up being Every time that Sin Cara is given time or somewhat of a story with a match, he knocks it out of the park. Uh, as mentioned in uh, the last episode, with my Extreme Rules predictions, he did this with that small feud with Baron Corbin last year for the U.S. title. And with Andrade, and Almas, these two matches, he's done exactly that. You know, he hit a Spike Rana at one point. Andrade was hitting him with really stiff strikes. He did that... um, that stomp on Sin Cara to the outside of the ring. With Sin Cara hanging from the top rope. Downwards. It was a really good match. And from these two I expected nothing less. Obviously Andrade got the win. Andrade is awesome. Looks like a million bucks. He's a guy who you look at. And you see him and you say. This is a guy. Who could be in a world title match at Wrestlemania. Main event of the whole show. I don't know about that. But. The world title contender at WrestleMania and the, an the enormous, enormous Latin star. That is what Andrade is. Great match here. Good that Andrade got the win and move on to bigger and better things. And it was nice to see Sin Cara get time and a story for a match because every time, as I mentioned, every time he gets that, he delivers. Moving on to the second kickoff show match, uh, Sanity defeated the New Day in a tables match. Eric Young uh, elbow dropped Kofi Kingston off of the apron through a table. Again, another great kickoff show match that the New Day are involved in. You put New Day against the Usos. You put them against Sanity. You put them against whoever. The New Day kick ass in the ring. Sanity are great as well. This match. I I feel it was pretty fun. You know, I liked how Kofi was trying so hard, so hard to just um, suplex Alexander Wolfe off of that apron. And in the process of doing so, EY was able to elbow drop him off from that position through the table. Um, I think Killian Dane got some really good spotlight. You know, in NXT, he was being used in a singles role a lot. Obviously showing that they have a lot of interest in him. Behind him, he looked like a beast Again, another match where you expected it to be a very good match, and that's exactly what it was. Sanity getting the win allows this to continue. The two teams can move forward and keep feuding. Obviously, or likely, I expect the New Day to get that win in the feud, but for now, they can keep feuding because, the Sanity, because Sanity got that first win, and it was a good match. No complaints here. I really, really enjoyed it. And now, before I get into the main show review, I'll just say that my overall takeaway, as far as the show itself, I thought it was a really fun, enjoyable show. I thought, you know, 12 matches is a lot, but I thought it was, as a whole, it was a lot of fun, some cool moments, great in-ring action, you know, online, it was a mixed bag of how people reacted to it. I don't care about that. I thought it was a lot of fun and enjoyable, and I thought it was a really good show, As good as Money in the Bank? No. A good show? Absolutely. Really fun time. Another great pay-per-view that WWE brought us here with Extreme Rules. Now, let's get into the main card. The first show, or the first, oh boy, words. The first match on the card, the B-team defeated Matt Hardy and Bray Wyatt for the Raw Tag Team titles. I did not see this coming. In my predictions for the show, I thought that Matt and Bray were going to retain. But, I'm really happy for Curtis Axel and Bo Dallas, because these are guys who before, before let's look at them before the Miz Tourage, right? They were not even on TV in, uh, week to week, and if they were, in the very off chance that they were on TV, they would basically just get squashed. They got their big role with Miz, transformed this into the B-team, where they're really fun and... You know, even though they're heels, they're just fun, and you kind of want to, like, root for them a little bit because they're entertaining and funny. You know, how they celebrate so excessively when they win or when they win, Curtis Axel does the floss dance on the stage. They're just, like, a funny group. Like, they there's just a funny tag team. And I thought it was really cool how these guys, you know, on the post-show, uh, Curtis Axel talked about hills and valleys. You know, obviously, Curtis Axel was an intercontinental champion before. Obviously, Bo Dallas Was an NXT champion before. But these guys before the Miztourage were at the bottom of the barrel as low as you could be. And now they're the tag team champions without Miz with them. By themselves, they are a tag team championship tag team. That must have been so satisfying for them after being at that bottom for so long. You know, finally getting their career reinvigorated with Miz. And now they are champions. That's so validating. It must have been so awesome for them. I also thought it was really cool how... At the end of the match, the finish where... Axel and Bray spilled to the outside and the only two left in the ring were Matt and Bo and Bo you know he hit the the kick to the gun on Matt and he hung him up onto the top rope to do um to set up for his hanging neck breaker finisher and as he kicked Matt and set him up for the finish you could tell that the crowd was realizing that they were about that Bo was about to hit his finisher and win the match and there was this kind of like slow and just build up, build up, build up of just this roar of excitement from the crowd. You know, he kicks him in the gut. You heard a little, you know, the noise picked up a little bit. He puts him up on the top ropes, and you could hear just a, whoa, and then you could hear or you could see people starting to stand up and get really excited, and he hit his finisher, and the crowd got so excited when they won, which is really cool because you could see that this was about to be the ending. These guys are about to win the titles, and the people just got so excited and went nuts in that process of knowing, hey, this is about to happen. Again, on the post-show, Curtis and Bo, how they were, um, you know, Bo jumping on the table and sliding down it and celebrating and all that. So much fun. I thought it was great. I'm so happy for them. As far as Matt and Bray are concerned, um, I thought that they would be your sort of long-term champions, you know, have a lot of challengers of the month type thing because they're a beloved tag team with two really great guys in that team and Matt and Bray. But in hindsight, I probably should not have been as surprised considering I think there's a lot of potential as far as what you can do with the two of them. You know, with final deletion type stuff or whatever, it had been confined to the typical tag team buildup of one partner loses to the other team's partners and, you know, they do their backstage promos. If there's dissension between Matt and Bray as a tag team leading to them to becoming singles guys. Uh, I think that tag team void would end up getting replaced by Jason Jordan and Chad Gable, the American alpha. I could definitely see Matt and Bray, you know, uh, you know, Bray got hit by, no, it was actually Matt um, bumped into Bray by way of Curtis Axel. So maybe if there's friction there, they split as a team, they become singles guys, Jason Jordan and Chad Gable, that void in the tag division regardless I kind of feel like Jason Jordan and Chad Gable are going to be a tag team when Jordan is brought back maybe even you know in the belt to SummerSlam or whatever well not maybe definitely in the belt to SummerSlam maybe even tonight on Raw but it'll be very interesting to see where Matt and Bray go from here whether they stay as a team whether they get the rematch at SummerSlam or early or even if they just win it back from Curtis and Bo. But a fun match between these two. Very happy for the B team. They're still undefeated. So, no complaints here. Very fun match. And will be interesting to see if Matt and Bray stay as a team. uh, get splintered off into two singles guys. And if American Alpha comes back into the tag team division and factors into this. After this match, we had Kurt Angle give his uh, interview with Renee Young where he said, If Brock Lesnar does not show up on Raw tomorrow night, which is now tonight, uh, come to terms on an agreement to defend the Universal title. He will be stripped. If he does not do either of those two things, he will be stripped of the Universal Championship. And when he did that, I thought it was great because, you know, he looked right into the camera and just matter-of-factly said, I'm going to strip him of the Universal title. And the crowd just erupted. You know, they just, there was this huge, and then it was the yes, yes, yes chance from everybody. And... I'll get more into this later with Roman and Bobby Lashley, but you saw in that reaction that people want that title back and they've built up the idea of Brock coming back to defend it and maybe losing it. People are excited for it. They're clamoring for it. So in that sense, it sucks that Brock is not around and it sucks that the Universal title is not around, but in the sense of building up, we want him to lose it so bad... The crowd is ready for that. The crowd is excited for that. The crowd wants him to lose that title. Um, it just depends on who that opponent is, and we'll get into that later on in the show, but I thought that was really cool how the crowd just erupted like that. Yes, chant, woo, and everything. I thought that was great. Finn Balor defeated the Constable Baron Corbin. Again, I talked in my last episode about how much I love Constable Baron Corbin. I think he's great in the role. Finn Balor is Finn Balor. They had a good match. Balor won with a roll-up. That'll allow it to continue. Uh, There's not really much else you can say about this match, but I enjoyed it. It was a good, solid match. Nothing more, nothing less. They'll keep feuding. That's that. Then we had Carmella retaining her title over Asuka. And I am someone who is a proponent of Carmella. I think she's a fantastic champion. I think she's doing a great job. She's awesome as the insufferable egotistical overconfident irrational heel champion who's really just a chicken shit she's great um this match kind of sucked though because i mean basically what the match was was oscar beat the shit out of carmella for like two minutes ellsworth threw some weapons to carmella and oscar stifled it ellsworth tried to get out he fell he got caught by his leg she kicked the shit out of him carmella pushed oscar into the cage and pinned her that was it Nothing else. And then Asuka got mad and kicked the shit out of everyone. I had said last week in my last episode that I thought that the women's title match at SummerSlam, obviously I think Becky Lynch will factor into it, but getting all four women on the show, of Carmella, Asuka, Becky, and Charlotte, seems like that's definitely the path now. Asuka still has beef to get that title Becky Lynch has been built up for the last five weeks or so, winning over every single opponent put in front of her. And Charlotte is Charlotte, so she's going to factor right into that title picture as soon as she comes back. So that's the direction I see this going in. But, you know, okay. like Carmella retained her title. Ellsworth helped her. People were upset that the match sucked. That's justified because it did suck. But in an overall sense... It should, it's exactly what should have happened. Asuka is clearly so much better than Carmella. And she's only winning because of this little shit James Ellsworth. So in that thought and sense, fine. But the match itself, to me, I just thought it kind of sucked. But we'll see where it goes from here. I think that fatal foray at SummerSlam between Carmella, Becky, Charlotte, and Asuka is what's going to end up happening. Because, again, Asuka still has ties to getting that title because she's gotten screwed twice. Becky's being built up. And Charlotte to Charlotte. Moving on from here, this is a match, well, a six-second match. Shinsuke Nakamura defeated Jeff Hardy to become the United States Champion. We had Nakamura hitting the low blow on Jeff right before the match. An immediate as The bell rang. He pinned him. Nakamura's the new champ. And then out came Randy Orton. You know, big pop. Everyone's excited. Nakamura was on the announce table. He stared down Nakamura. Turned around and then um, grabbed Jeff Hardy's legs, opened him up, and stomped Jeff Hardy in the dick. So he got low blowed twice. Now the immediate reaction that I saw from people on Twitter, or internet was, "Whoa, heel Orton! Yeah, woo!" And you know the crowd booed him when this happened. Randy Orton did not turn heel here. I want to like clarify this, and I really want to emphasize this. Look at the SmackDown Live roster. There's AJ Styles as the top champion as a babyface. Your number two babyface is Daniel Bryan, who's involved with the Team Hell No stuff right now. So he's in the tag team scene. Jeff Hardy, and then Randy Orton. Those are your four babyfaces. The heel side, Samoa Joe, Miz, Rusev. Those are three guys right there. Shinsuke Nakamura is your United States champion. That's four guys right there. Andrade San Almas, that's five guys right there you have a plethora and a large number of heels on the SmackDown Live roster and very few babyfaces. This was an obvious case of Orton because, you know, he's the RKO. He's got the voices in his head. He's the Predator. He wasn't being a heel. He was just showing Shinsuke Nakamura, hey, you like to low blow people. You want to play that game? I can play that game too. So you're not going to get that one over on me. And... That was further emphasized to me because Jeff Hardy is getting his rematch immediately this Tuesday on SmackDown Live so you can get that rematch out of the way so you can go straight into Nakamura and Orton. Orton's the babyface here. Nakamura's the heel. Orton was just solely showing Nakamura that Nakamura's games, Nakamura's low-blow tactics, he's not the only one who can do that. And you could try to play games and get in the head of Randy Orton, but you can't successfully do it Because he's the Apex Predator, he hears voices in his head. That's what that was. That was just a display of gamesmanship. It was not a turn of him being a heel. He's still a babyface through and through. Even though it was a heelish move. Because, obviously, it is being set up for him to challenge Nakamura, who is a heel. There is a significant uh, quantity of heels versus babyfaces on SmackDown Live. You you really only have three top singles babyfaces with Bryan in the tag division. So Styles can feud with one heel at a time. Orton feuds with Nakamura, and that leaves five heels, and then there's two heels left from that group. You know, you have Andrade, you'd have Miz, and then there's only Jeff Hardy left. So Orton is not turning heel here. He is a babyface, and then he is just showing Nakamura, you can't outsmart me. That's all that was. That was not a heel turn. That was just Orton being Orton and Jeff Hardy, you know, it's just, like, it's just like when Orton would RKO his tag team partner or if he would RKO um, anyone who got in his way in the way to a title match. Like, when, for example, when he had a number one contender's uh, match for the WWE Championship with Shinsuke Nakamura, he RKO'd him the week before when they were in a tag match. Him kicking Jeff Hardy in the dick is okay as a babyface because he's Randy Orton and he's like the sort of, lone wolf cold calculated type so don't buy into the idea that he's a heel he's a babyface who will be challenging nakamura and this was just an isolated incident because a babyface like orton you are able to do stuff like this with the mind game stuff with nakamura who plays the whole get in the head of his opponent trope every single time since he's become a heel so it's basically he's being matched by orton all right, now we got to move along to a match that I thought was one of the best parts of the entire show: Kevin Owens and Braun Strowman. Uh, Braun Strowman is going to murder Kevin Owens one of these days. My God, a choke slam off of the top of a steel cage, twenty feet probably, through the announce table. When it, I when it happened, I just started screaming, losing my mind. I was screaming, "Holy shit, he's dead!" Oh my God, he's dead. He killed him. He absolutely destroyed him. And look, I love Braun just killing everyone, doing crazy stuff and just causing absolute havoc and destruction. He's thrown Kevin Owens off the top of a huge ladder at Money in the Bank, probably 20 feet, uh, if not more, probably 25. Pushed him off the stage in a porter potty, flipped his car, and now he chokes chokeslammed him off a steel cage through a table. By way of that, Kevin Owens won the match. His feet hit the floor first. Crazy. Look, if Braun's not going to be the champ, which he's not right now, having him just destroy someone week in and week out, I, I love that. You know, Braun's my favorite wrestler going right now, and just seeing him do crazy stuff that no other wrestler can do or get away with, love it. One thing that was funny was, you know, as he's looking down, on Owens who's you know destroyed through the announce table Braun is standing there on the top of the cage He lets go of holding on to that little like support wire that hangs the cage. So he's just standing on that top rung ledge area of the steel cage The six foot eight 350 pound man He's not holding on to anything. He's just standing there balancing on the top of a 20 foot high steel cage You know using his hands to soak in the crowd not holding on to anything he slips a little bit. He's fallen and he's destroying himself, whether it's frontwards or backwards. You know, i th- That's a part that people aren't going to look at, obviously, because Kevin Owens was chokeslammed 20 feet off of the cage, but that's incredible balance for a man of that size. But yeah, Braun is the man, the monster in the bank. Owens wins. Look, Braun can kill a, a different person every single week. I don't care. I love it. Braun is what wrestling is all about. Crazy, outlandish stuff. That just makes you scream and have fun and enjoy. That's all that was. There's no point in overanalyzing it. He threw him off of a cage, craziness, 20 feet through a table, and he just and all you're gonna do when you see that is freak out or chant "Holy shit." That's all there is to that. I thought it was awesome. I was losing my mind as it happened. Moving on to the next match from the show. Moving on, we have the Bludgeon Brothers who were able to defeat Team Hell No by way of their attack earlier in the night. It was Daniel Bryan going at it basically alone, and then Kane came out with more or less, you know, a severely sprained ankle. We have the Bludgeon Brothers. adds a cool layer to it because, obviously, no doubt about it, it's going to continue, and Team Hell No are going to win the titles at SummerSlam. But the Bludgeon Brothers, you right, this undefeated duo who are unstoppable and you're just, The ultimate, you can't even come close to beating them. They're indestructible. They're a force. They are the tag team. They have steamrolled and beaten everyone. Just fair and square. And they have not just beaten them. They have annihilated them. They feel threatened by Team Hell No to the point that they have to attack them before the match. And even still, Daniel Bryan by himself... And a 70% Kane almost beat them. So you have that little bit of, hey, the Bludgeon Brothers aren't as immortal as we see. You know, Brian and Kane are a legitimate force for them, or a legitimate obstacle for them. Brian and Kane are going to win these tag titles at SummerSlam. No question about it. It's just cool that the Bludgeon Brothers now, you know, rather than them just seeing every single opponent as we're going to kill them no matter what. One man, Daniel Bryan, came pretty close to tapping out Luke Harper at one point uh, with the S-lock. If it was not for Rowan pulling him out. And even with Kane barely able to walk, he was almost able to hit a bunch of his signature moves. A full strength, Daniel Bryan and Kane can beat them. That's the story that was told here. And it was told that the Budger Brothers realized that and took measures to prevent it. When they win at SummerSlam, it's going to be a beautiful, awesome moment. This match, even with, obviously, Brian by himself and Kane being hampered, still great because of how awesome Luke Harper is and Rowan and Harper together. is just, they're perfect for each other. I'm very excited for this to continue, which it obviously will, heading into SummerSlam. Alright, moving along now. We had, after that, a big match as far as future implications went, and that was Bobby Lashley defeating Roman Reigns. The beginning of this match, probably till the middle of it, was pretty eh, it's kind of slow and boring and wasn't really into it. The end of this match, when it picked up, it got really good. Both of these guys are just the big powerhouse types who were just so athletic and hard hitting. They meshed very well. You know, when it got to the point where they were just trying to outdo each other for the last like five minutes or so, I thought that the last five minutes, six, seven minutes of this match were really good. The beginning, as I mentioned, sucked, but when you had Roman going Superman punch after Superman punch, going for the spear, and then Lashley responds with a spear of his own to pick up the win, that was cool. And looking forward now, with the aforementioned Universal Championship announcement by Kurt Angle, Bobby Lashley won. On that post-show, he called out Brock Lesnar over and over saying, I'm the guy who can beat you, you don't want to wrestle Roman, fine, wrestle me, I beat Roman. For Roman, he's the uncrowned Universal Champion, so he says, but he just lost to Bobby Lashley. So Bobby Lashley should be in line for a shot rather than him. So moving forward from this, no matter how it shakes out, whether it's a one-on-one match or whether it's a triple threat, Bobby Lashley is going to be in the Universal Championship match against Brock Lesnar at SummerSlam. If you look at the rest of the Raw roster and you look at how... Roman is so hell-bent on that uncrowned Universal Champion status, I think this is going to have a strong chance to end up being a triple threat match. Let's say it's um, Brock and Lashley one-on-one. Who do you put Roman against at the SummerSlam? There's, you know, Elias and Jinder are not... He already beat Jinder. Elias, as a pay-per-view opponent, I mean, he's already beaten Elias on TV before. You could, in theory, do something with Kevin Owens. So that's one possibility. But outside of, say, Kevin Owens, there's not really much possibility for what you could do with Roman at SummerSlam. But then again, how can this guy challenge for the title when he's really lost twice to Brock and he just lost to Bobby Lashley? And maybe the thought is here is if you put Roman, if you put Lashley in that match instead of Roman, because the crowd is going to be inclined, whether it's justified or not, to shit on anything Roman does— with how much they're clamoring to see Brock lose the title, if you put someone like Lashley in there, who the crowd is, at worst, a little bit indifferent to, but at best, you know, kind of into, maybe that sets you up for a better overall reception and reaction as the match is occurring and going down. Either way, I think Lashley is in that universal title match at SummerSlam. I think it ends up being a triple threat with him, Roman, and Brock, but I would not be surprised if it's just Lashley and Brock one on one. I think there are a lot of really, really cool ways they could take this with Brock, whether it's I would have you know, you could have Brock disrespect Kurt Angle and disrespect the universe and throw the title around like he doesn't care about it, or have him basically say, you know, if he wins this match, you know, he's his contract's over and he's gonna take it to UFC with him and maybe you have him beat Lashley in Roman or Lashley alone or whoever it is, and everyone thinks, oh no, he's won, he's gonna leave with the title, and then out comes Braun to cash in. So many possibilities here. I don't want... I think that the person who ends up coming out of SummerSlam as the Universal Champion is Braun. There was an advertisement for Hell in a Cell uh, put out by the arena in San Antonio where the show was going to be where it advertised Styles and Samoa Joe for the title and it advertised Owens versus Reigns but no title with it. Uh, You know, that could easily just become a title match but... If we're going to base it off of that a little bit, maybe Roman's out of that title picture and it's Braun as the champion and Braun and Lashley is what's going on at that time in September, October. Who knows? Either way, I mentioned it in the State of Wrestling podcast I did a few days ago. The fact that Lashley has been saved is remarkable. Saved to the point where he beat Roman Reigns and it was met with a fine reception. The crowd did not just completely reject both and be apathetic to both. Remarkable because he looked as dead in the water as you could be after that Sami Zayn feud. Now he's just a proud fighter who knows he's great and wants a chance at the top guy in the title. That's all he is, and that's a simple trope to follow. I'm very excited to see what happens on Raw with Brock. I fully expect him to show up. And Lashley and Brock, two big guys who are just going to beat the absolute shit out of each other. Again, if Roman's involved, I think that would be great as well. Regardless of who's in that title match, though, I think Braun comes out of uh, out of SummerSlam as the Universal Champion. But Lashley and Reigns back to that match. A great end to the match. A pretty poor and eh uh, beginning and middle. I liked how Lashley and Roman mesh style-wise because they're pretty similar. Just big, athletic, hard-hitting guys. And, again, will be interesting to see how it goes from here with Brock, the Universal title, Lashley, and Roman. Alexa Bliss retaining her title by defeating Nia Jax in the Extreme Rules match. You know, Ronda came out beating up um, or trying to save Natalia because Mickey was beating her up. And then Mickey hit her with the kendo sticks. And then Alexa was able to beat Nia with the DDT on the chair. I liked how, and it's, there's nothing wrong with it. I'm just saying it was kind of funny how, you know, the match had just ended. Nia had just lost and been brutalized. And the camera was just immediately on Ronda, who was a fan who jumped the rail and no security came to her. Again, that's just logic, whatever. But the point is, Alexa and Ronda at SummerSlam is going to be amazing. You have this legitimate badass who could kick the shit out of anyone. And this heel champion who is overconfident and egotistical, who is talking shit and angering this proud badass fighter. It's the ultimate bitchy egotistical, confident champion versus this no-nonsense, I'm-going-to-beat-the-shit-out-of-you challenger. Perfect dynamic, and she won't be on Raw tonight because of the suspension, but maybe that'll kick in and start next week. I don't know how they're going to go about it specifically, but boy, oh boy, is it going to be awesome when Ronda's finally in that ring with Alexa. Like I said on the last podcast, there's no better opponent for Ronda to win that title from than Alexa Bliss, Because of how great Alexa Bliss is as the top heel champion who you can't wait to see them lose. Nia Jax is a big obstacle, but there's not as much investment in her. Alexa provides you that all-encompassing story to make that title win that much more impressive and impactful. The match itself, fine. It was okay. Nothing special, not bad. Uh, Good use of weapons and whatever. You know, we had the kendo sticks in, we had the chair... Nothing special, not bad, pretty solid, decent match, and he had the Ronda involvement to set the story moving forward. No complaints here. Moving to the last two matches of the show, AJ Styles retained his title over Rusev, the WWE Championship. I did not expect Rusev to win this match at by any means. It was a clear, he's just here to challenge for this pay-per-view, but my goodness, AJ Styles is the perfect professional wrestler. Every match, amazing. Any type of opponent, amazing. And look at Rusev, his first ever WWE Championship match. Motivated as hell, he stepped up to the plate and he put on the best match of his career. The best match of his life he put on last night. He had you legitimately believing at points that he was maybe going to win when you knew in your head that there was no possibility of that happening. The Look, it, I can't give this match enough rave reviews. When the best wrestler in the world steps in there with someone super motivated in his first ever championship match and they kill it and knock it out of the park like that, that is a perfect example of a professional wrestling match. Two guys who are just proving they want to be the best. No weapons. You know, a little bit of involvement from Aiden English, but no weapons, no hokey crap. Just basic... One-on-one, I'm going to throw everything I have at you, you're going to throw everything you have at me. And it was wonderful. And I don't know how or when Rusev gets back into the title picture, but, man, he belongs. He, obviously, anyone, uh, you know, when you're in the ring with AJ Styles, anyone, whoever it may be, you're going to have a fantastic match if you, as just as much as averagely hold your own. But... Oh man, Rusev belongs in that top tier. He killed it, knocked his opportunity out of the park. And AJ Styles is simply phenomenal. As far as where it goes from here, I said this before, I'll say it again. The AJ Styles-Samoa Joe matchup seems to be where this is headed. A three pay-per-view feud. You could do the SummerSlam pay-per-view. Extreme Rules... Uh, you could do something at the um, Super Showdown, in Aust- or not Extreme Rules, Hell in a Cell, and you could do something in October at the uh, Super Showdown they're doing in Melbourne, Australia. A three or so, like a three-month feud with Joe for that title. It's a match and a feud that I specifically believe Samoa Joe is put on SmackDown for, and it's a match that people want to see, and they will have, as we've seen before in TNA, a fantastic match. I fully expect that to be the SummerSlam WWE Championship match and to be that top feud moving forward for the next couple of months. But I am just so impressed every single time about with AJ Styles in a big-time main event match. Every single match, he delivers. Every single match, he you come away from it and you just realize, my God, this guy is just so freaking good. And Rusev just kicked it into another gear. Beautiful, beautiful match. And then we go on to the last match of the night. Dolph Ziggler retained his title in an Iron Man match plus overtime with Drew McIntyre at ringside over Seth Rollins. I like this match a lot. I don't care that people did not and thought that it wasn't that great of a main event or whatever. I thought it was awesome. I really liked how... Or I'll first say this about the obvious elephant in the room about... The crowd counting down from 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, every time a minute would come up. And how they took the clock off the screen to get the crowd to stop chanting, but they kept chanting. And how the the camera got close to Ziggler and Rollins and the mic picked up Ziggler saying it's worse than it was before in reference to them chanting. And Rollins tweeting the, the countdown from 10 to 1. I thought it was funny. Okay. Sure, you want the fans, or if you're a wrestler in the ring, do you want them doing that or cheering your moves? you want them cheering your moves, but it was funny. Come on, just let them have fun. Is it really that big of a deal? They got into it at all the big points. It was only for 10 seconds every uh, well, every minute of the match, but it was only it wasn't for the entire match, or it was for the entire match, but it wasn't for the entire match in the sense of they kept chanting the clock every single second that ticked by. It was just the 10, 9, 8 for every single minute. The rest of the time, they were super invested in the match. I am not. I don't see the need to say, Oh, the fans can't do that. They got to respect what's going on in the ring. Because they did. They were just having fun with it. Because who doesn't want to do that countdown and do the little buzzer sound at zero? It's just fun wrestling fans enjoying themselves. I liked how Drew McIntyre destroying Rollins got two falls for Ziggler. I expected there to be something where either... I expected it to be that Ziggler... I expected dean ambrose to be the return to return and be involved in this match because i saw with it being the main event that there had to be something huge coming along with it um i thought dean coming back to even the odds with Drew, but ultimately costing seth the match deliberately or by accident was going to be what ended up happening or maybe to a lesser extent maybe that would have happened with jason jordan it did not happen i thought that Ziggler would be up one fall and Rollins would frantically be trying to get that last fall to tie it up, but what ended up happening was a variation of that where they were tied and Ziggler, or Rollins was trying to get that winning fall over Ziggler, but he ran out of time. Angle starting the overtime up was cool. Drew came right in. Ziggler pinned him right away. Would you have liked there to be a hotter ending to the show with someone returning like Ambrose or Jordan to potentially help and then cause Seth the match? Absolutely. But what this shows is McIntyre is the only reason that Ziggler won the match. That's the story here. There, and you look at the Raw preview that they put on the website today. This is not done. Whether they want to do something tonight with as far as a rematch where Ambrose can get involved and then it's Rollins versus Ziggler with Ambrose in one corner and McIntyre in the other at SummerSlam or Ambrose cost him the match today, and it's Ambrose versus Rollins, or they do a tag match at SummerSlam. One of those three combinations, I think, is what's going to end up happening. This is not done by any means. I don't think that it's the right move to have it, like in the event that it would be Ambrose and Rollins, and Ziggler would be an Intercontinental Champion by himself, I don't think that they would do McIntyre and Ziggler one-on-one right now, because there's no beef at the moment, and there's no real story built up. It would be kind of rushed. It would be better to have Ziggler hold that title longer to build up the dynamic more. Potentially, you know, you have some beef with Ziggler saying some comments I get under Drew's skin, or Drew eventually realizes that Ziggler is using him, and why not just beat Ziggler himself, and you can get sort of the little underlying idea of that so the crowd buys into it, and when it happens, it's this big whole thing. Doing it at SummerSlam, you take away the ability to do a whole big story centered around Drew turning on Dolph, or however you want to do it. Because The desire for that right now may be there, but it won't be to the extent that it can be based off of a whole big story um, playing into it and leading up to it. Again, I think they have a rematch tonight. I think Ambrose is going to be the one who gets involved. Whether to help Rollins or accidentally... Well, at this point, it wouldn't even be an accident. Whether to help Rollins fend off McIntyre, whether to turn on him or whatever. I think going to SummerSlam, it's Ambrose and Rollins versus Ziggler and McIntyre or Rollins versus Ziggler with McIntyre and Ambrose in each corner, or the off chance of um, Ambrose versus Rollins, in which case you could maybe have Ziggler wrestle Roman if Roman's on the universal title match. But that's getting into fantasy booking, which I'm not trying to do here. The point is, I expected that Ambrose to return, to have a big angle to end the show to come last night. It didn't. Even still, it was a great match between two just elite in ring guys. I think what we all know that Dolph Ziggler is good, but you realize just truly how great he is because of how all over the place and wishy washy his usage has been over the years. This guy is a pure breed, fantastic, elite, best in the world type pro wrestler. He's so good. He's just so freaking good. It's so great that he's being put in this big-time position and profile to show that at this stage because he's always had this in him. Every chance he's ever gotten over the years, deservedly, he's fantastic. He knocks out of the park every time. It's just a matter of a lot of times they're committed to using him to get some other priority accomplished, whether it's using him to bring in Big E or to um, get that win for Team Cena but not really do anything with him afterwards, or to do something with the Rusev storyline with Summer and Lana, it's always to get something else going. It's never on him. Now, obviously the end game here is gonna be Drew McIntyre beating him for that intercontinental title, but for the time being, since they should and probably will let that story play out and develop, there is a spotlight on Ziggler. He's getting promo time every week. He's made eventing a pay-per-view in an Iron Man match he's getting to showcase everything that he can bring. And that's awesome. I expect this to continue. Uh, expect there to be a rematch tonight and there'll be some further involvement from there. Overall, I really liked extreme rules. I think it set up, it was a great match just in ring with all the matches, set up a lot of future stuff to go down and opened up a lot of possibilities. Really enjoyed the show. Not as good as money in the bank, but pretty solid. Nonetheless, um, it will be interesting to see what happens tonight on Monday Night Raw with Lesnar and the Universal title, and on SmackDown tomorrow night with the WWE Championship, and as far as Nakamura, uh, Orton, and Hardy are concerned. But that's all for this episode of After the Final Whistle. I am your host, Brad Clear. This was my recap of Extreme Rules of the show last night and what's going to happen moving forward. Be sure to tune in to Raw tonight to see all the fallout and SmackDown Live tomorrow night. Have another episode coming in the coming days, um, likely centered around NBA Summer League, uh, rookies who performed well, and then some free agent and off-season musings, just things that caught my eye and whatnot. Again, this was Brad Clear of After the Final Whistle here on Monday, July 16th. Shout out to you, the listener. Shout out to Extreme Rules. Shout out to WWE. Shout out to Braun. And as always, no matter what time of the day you are listening to this at, goodbye. And good night.